We see that this whole society, man, exists and rests upon workers, and that this whole motherfucking society controlled by this ruling clique is parasitic, voyeuristic, cannibalistic, and is sucking and destroying, man, the life of motherfucking workers, and we have to stop it because it's evil. You're listening to a rankandfile.ca podcast. Rankandfile.ca is a website dedicated to providing labor news and analysis for rebuilding trade unions and the workers' movement from below. This is George Trollio, one of the co-editors at Rankandfile.ca. On our latest episode, uh, I'm going to be talking to Kevin Bryce Lal, who's an activist and journalist in Toronto, and he's also involved in uh, solidarity work with uh, Guyanese sugar workers. Um, in the diaspora within Toronto. So I'm going to be talking about him, about what exactly is going on with sugar workers and the sort of neoliberal restructuring to the Guyanese economy that they're facing. Now here's Kevin. So let's just start with a, because of the way that sugar is, you know, important export in uh, Guyana, just give us a brief kind of overview of uh, hit, like sort of its history of political economy and colonialism quick. The, the reason Guyana exists is because of sugar, and a lot of the country's geography reflects that. Um, in terms of political economy, like the, the first uh, recognized trade union in the in the entire British Empire was the British Guiana Trade Union, and that involved uh, people who were members of sugar. Uh, sugar in Guyana is the most politically charged union historically, and in many ways, I mean, it still is, as the current attacks show. The fight for union recognition and the the attempts by the neo-colonial regime which came into power that was granted power by the british following the end of colonialism uh they they sought to undermine uh the guyana agricultural workers union right off the bat they had their own company union that they tried to force workers into and the fight for workers to choose their own union was a, a key struggle in that country and the, um, the main political party in that country, um, in its inception in 1953, is the People's Progressive Party. And where that comes from is uh, sugar workers and the, the most organized workers at the time and workers all across the, uh, the margins. When they came in to uh, create their, their political par- party, the People's Progressive Party, it was an explicitly anti-colonial. They wanted independence and uh, the reason the ire of the United States and Britain fell on it so heavily, uh, because they came into power two times and were overthrown both times by Britain, was because there was the fear that they would be a second Cuba because of the the Marxist Cold War rhetoric of, uh, of the party's leader and many people in the party. Okay. And so what is the situation right now in uh, Guyana for sugar workers? For sugar workers? Right now, um, as of today, Wales Estate, the government announced um, in January that they were going to shut it down. It was going to cease cultivation by the end of this year. Um, across the country, there's, there's, there's several estates, and they, they have different areas of production. So there's a field, and there's the factory, and there's administrative workers inside. And with Wales, the government is saying right now that what they're going to do at this particular estate is change it so that they can uh, farm rice, maybe citrus fruit, do uh, aquaculture, so have like fish farms for tilapia and whatnot. But although although they haven't released any studies showing if this is viable, the um, the company uh, 
Shaker's public, publicly owned in Guyana. It's owned by a company called Daisuko, a state-owned corporation. They haven't released any studies showing that this is viable. They haven't consulted the union. They've made these grand promises uh, there will be jobs, but they haven't said whether or not they will rehire the workers who are being dismissed, who are members of the union yet. So the only plan they have so far is to close the estate, the workers lose their jobs, and then at some undisclosed date in the future, potentially rehire them. The reason this has happened is because estates across the country, um, as uh, there was a very expensive condition of inquiry launched by the previous government uh, that finished and said the state of sugar in the country. Um, what's happened is it has, it made the, it was, it was nonpartisan, the Commission of Inquiry. It suggested that no estates be closed because it threatened the overall viability of sugar production in the whole country. And it still, as of today, remains the largest single employer inside the country. And it's one of the largest earner of foreign reserves. Uh, so it, it plays an important part, which is why it was, uh, it wasn't why it was nationalized, but it played a, a role in why it was. So if Wales is shut down, it sets a precedent um, that other estates could be privatized. And the current president of the country, which uh, he's coming to power at the head of a coalition, which broke 23 years of uh, the PPP's rule, the People's Progressive Party, which is traditionally the party of the sugar workers. And David Granger said that he doesn't think the state has any place in the uh, in owning these industries. So this is, uh, in many ways, it looks like a, a death by a thousand cuts, right? What they're doing with Wales, in many ways, looks like a test to what they could try with other estates. So if they succeed in closing it down under the guise that it's not profitable, it's uh, there's a like there's a chance that they could try it with other estates. And this isn't just my opinion. Lots of people have said that privatization could be happening. and. What makes this more worrisome is the, the whole language of profitability, right? I mean, that's something we're uh, strangers of here. I mean, uh, people saying Canada Post isn't profitable, therefore get rid of it. Uh, X and X publicly owned corporation isn't profitable, get rid of it. With sugar, where it becomes a little cloudy is that it's, it's an export-driven commodity to generate income for the state, right? It's not providing a public service per se. So what happened is the price of sugar globally took a huge hit in 2007 and there is nowhere in the world right now where sugar is sold at the at the global price so it's the conditions in which the government's saying that it's not profitable and it's costing the government quite a bit of money aren't truly the cause of the the workers at these estates um and in many ways it's just a, it's a symptom of the global economic crisis uh, other countries that have similar sugar industries or that had like trinidad where it was privatized and shut down in Jamaica, where they're going through the final phases of that privatization, the same thing comes in its way. Um, devastated communities that have existed since those areas were colonized to begin with, um, and secondary industries and tertiary ones where every income that those trigger workers earn trickles back into the community, goes into the families, and when you shut that down, you're, you're not just closing a factory, you're not closing an estate, you're closing a way of life, you're closing foreclosing on families and these are workers that are earning tremendous amounts of money at all these are some of the poorest countries on earth um in 1990 diana had the distinction of being the second poorest in the western hemisphere after haiti um, when we're talking about good jobs here what we mean are unionized jobs where workers earn a livable wage i mean in terms of what a living wage is there i don't think anyone's done the numbers but it's not it's a hard job 
the workers there go through brutal conditions as it exists and it's it's they they have a union they fought for rights and the idea of sugar continuing in a privatized fashion would be would be horrendous for the, for the workers in it and is this like uh, a sort of a trend of sort of neoliberal restructuring in Guyana or is this sort of the first opening salvos of it it's a long trend um, a long trend of, uh, of neoliberalism what what brought what helped bring the um, the People's Progressive Party into power the PPP was the end of the their opponent party the People's National Congress the PNC and what that was was they were initially given power by the uh, British because they were trusted not to become a second Cuba and they the prime minister of the country at the time was uh, Desmond Hoyt, and he wanted to put through something called the New Economic Initiative. The New Economic Initiative was in line with the requirements of the IMF and the World Bank for a new transfer of loans to the country on the grounds that huge amounts of publicly owned industry were privatized. And what sets Guyana different than most countries in the region and many countries in the world is that the their neo-colonial regime uh, like like others, which would have called themselves socialist, even though they weren't socialists in the slightest, nationalized huge amounts of, of everything. They nationalized as many industries as they could get their hands on. So as a means of meeting these IMF uh, targets, the new economic initiative sought to privatize a huge amount of things. Um, and this is in 1990. So what happened is... Um, they made the mistake of attacking multiple industries at once, which drove workers together and created the conditions in which the PPP could come to power and that workers across multiple industrial lines took action and were able to fight privatization at that time. Um, Guyana inherited a huge debt. The next government decided to pay it and IMF measures continued to get passed by this government at different dates in the future. So, the country is no stranger to neoliberalism in the IMF, but what makes the current period different um, than the previous one is that this is the post-2008 financial crisis version of Guyana. And although the crisis was felt across the region in different ways, there's a, a whole new series of people you know, piloting the, the ship, for lack of a better term. And what they want to do, as has been seen in other industries, is they've come out and and made broad statements like one of the members of government said if you want to be or the president said if you want to be lazy you'll earn a lazy person's salary attacking public sector workers uh not granting cost of living increases to only one section of the private sector so far or sorry public sector and across the board just it's it is an anti-worker government and that's no stranger i mean quite recently uh, and as I just found out, the Demerar Timber Limited Company, in which uh, workers from Gawu work, uh, a, uh, 15 workers were picketing the office asking for a cost of living increase. And what happened is the government, or sorry, the um, the company laid off 11 of the 15 picketing workers. Uh, they fired them while they were out engaging in, in strike action. And that's that's granted by the the constitution and that's that's something that's not common in guyana's most recent history and more hearkening back to a previous set of labor relations from the 70s and 80s so the situation now is that 
neoliberalism has been happening in Guyana, and both the, the PPP government and the government before them to secure loans and to get haircuts on their overall debt jump through these different hoops, but where the working class is at the end of it is they're not really any further ahead. You have a state which is maybe has now paid off quite a bit of debt and get and you know gave new loans, but it's not able to to get ahead. And um, so how are sugar workers resisting? When the news was first broke in uh, January, uh, it was it wasn't announced by the government first. It was uh, announced by the media. Um, someone was able to leak that information, and the government immediately was on the the on the back foot for it. Uh, there's there's been multiple demonstrations in the capital by sugar workers for multiple estates. Um, since travel isn't the easiest thing in Guyana, there's been. Uh, rotating two-day-a-week strikes for certain time periods. Um, there's been vigils, there's been pickets, there's been uh, multiple protests from the time period of uh, January, late January this year right to now. And there's been resistance from day one on this. Um, but sadly, the sugar workers will not be able to win this alone in this. And yeah, this May Day uh, had a very, very encouraging precedent. The uh, the two major union coalitions in the country, um, the Federation of Independent Trade Unions, Guyana, and the Trade Union Congress, which uh, represents unions which cross party lines and party loyalties, had a May Day demonstration together, where the leaders of both unions uh, both decried what was happening at Wales Estate and didn't support it. Um, but that sentiment hasn't been experienced at a rank and file level. So as we're seeing large demonstrations uh, by sugar workers and rotating one and two day strikes, we haven't seen that action picked up by other unions where their leaders have endorsed the struggle, but not mobilized their members to come out into the streets because the leaders of those unions support the, uh, the current government. And the leaders of the sugar workers union support the opposition. So there's a, there's a political line which is creating um, a real barrier to the solidarity required to win this particular struggle and the other struggles happening in Guyana right now. Uh, and the, the way to overcome that would be rank and file mobilization by the base of both unions, bringing them together, because it doesn't matter what union you're in or what industry you're in, if you're not being granted a cost of living increase, or for the teachers who um, were quite militant, they engaged in a wildcat strike earlier this year, if, if it was if it is possible and if the actions happen where workers from sugar in Gawu and workers in the Guyana Public Servants Union and workers in uh, the teachers union, if they could come together and show solidarity to the respective struggles, there's a, there's a lot of potential. The rate of unionization in Guyana per capita, it's a small country, under eight, 800,000 people. It has one of the highest per capita rates of unionization in the world. but at the end of the day, it's like you can have everyone in the union. If, if the rank and file isn't mobilized, it's just letters besides your paycheck, right? So there, there is a real potential for solidarity. We've heard words from the leaders of many of the unions. I mean, the, the, them marching together in May Day together is a historic thing. But until that action is reflected by those respective leaders bringing out their membership, going to Wales Estate, and, and I mean, in many ways, vice versa, members from Gawu showing up, you know, when 
the Guyana Public Servants Union is negotiating a salary increase. You're showing up to the teachers. That's the way ahead in this struggle. And although it's, uh, it, it hasn't been seen yet, it doesn't mean it can't. And in many ways, the way the new economic initiative, or sorry, the new economic initiative was beaten in the late 80s and early 90s that actually brought down the government was because the government attacked all these unions together. So as they resisted, they inevitably resisted together. And although the government of the day, which is many ministers from that previous government, is smart enough not to attack them altogether, the job of militants and allies and socialists and people in the trade union movement would to create, the, create that kind of solidarity, make facts. Even if, you know, your leader has, uh, you know, supports the party of the opposition or in government, you can always show up to another, another picket line of another union and show solidarity because that's going to be where the big breakthrough happens if it happens. And is there any idea about how much public support for the workers are? There is? There is. And how it happens is race plays a huge factor in politics in Guyana. And it's, it's quite unfortunate because the unions I've mentioned, the PPP is seen and, you know, is a predominantly Indo-Guyanese. So people in Guyana who are of Indian descent, um, they were as indentured Indian servants brought over um, after slavery was abolished. And then the other major group in the country uh, is uh, of, of African slaves who following abolition had their freedom. So Gawu is predominantly Indo-Guyanese. The Guyana Public Servants Union is predominantly Afro-Guyanese. The PPP, People's Aggressive Party, is predominantly their base is Indo-Guyanese. And the Alliance and Partnership for National Unity and their coalition partner uh, is predominantly Afro-Guyanese. So in many ways, things which are quite clearly issues of, of class, the working class getting attacked, are divided along the lines of race. And that's how the British um, ruled the country, ruled the colony. Um, the big threat in, um, for Guyana's independence was that it would happen by a multiracial coalition putting the working class at the front. And that's what the PPP was when it was formed. In fact, the British split the party um, along racial lines and those divisions are the same divisions that have divided everything up to today. Um, the PNC was divided from the PPP, and those are still the two major political blocks, even though the PNC is part of a, um, a coalition, it's still the major partner, their leadership from the coalition. Um, so public support definitely exists, except the thing is it's sadly um, along racial lines, which, which isn't the best uh, thing at all. And in, in many ways, this struggle could not be won if it stays as that. The, the tangible opportunity for people uh, to defeat racism is in a united working class struggle, and this struggle offers it. It offers it in, uh, in several ways. What can happen is if the predominantly Indo-Guyanese uh, union, Dawu, and workers from the predominantly Afro-Guyanese uh, unions that are part of the TUC, um, like the GPSU, Guyana Public Servants Union, if they come out together, that creates the basis upon which public support can be coalesced into something strong enough to break the government. Because at the end of the day, they won by only 5,000 votes. This is their second year in power um, after being out in the political hinterlands for over 20 years. So any real unity... Um, shown by both of their bases in the unions could 
could flip the struggle either way. I mean, ultimately, it's the uh, it's the fear of members of the trade union bureaucracy of of certain unions that support the current government that they don't they're they're fine with saying words of solidarity, but they're not going to call up their membership to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where the struggle is afraid. They're afraid that we support this party if we criticize it in this struggle by mobilizing our members in defense of the workers under attack for the opposition, then they won't get reelected. And for I mean, you're no stranger to it. You know the the attitude of unions towards certain political parties in the yeah. country. It's like yeah. they would sooner be not support workers in the same industry, in the same struggle to protect their party than to than to leave it. How can people okay. um, access some of the solidarity work that you uh, have been involved in? There's there's a few ways. The main way right now is there is a, there's an online petition which uh, you, you put on your website, and thank you very much for doing that, where people can go and uh, basically donate their voice, saying that if, if you are Guyanese, that this isn't in my name as a member of the diaspora, that we don't support these austerity mem- measures. Uh, and we've received a, a very good response on that. Uh, there's also a paper version uh, that we intend to send down to be presented in Parliament in Guyana on behalf of the workers. Um, we've done these petitioning exercises in New York and Toronto at uh, the West Indian Day Parade in New York and here in Toronto, Canada. So the petition is, is a big way to help uh, right now. There's going to be a, a solidarity appeal uh, that should be ready um, within the next two days for unions if they want to endorse the struggle. And basically what what they're looking for in, um, in the sugar workers union in Dawu is Multiple things are under attack right now. It's it's not just Wales Estate. It seems to be lots of the hard-won gains of the past. I mean, um, the right to paid release, to attend uh, conferences, seminars, functions, union meetings, that's being revoked to workers in Gawu. Um, as we've seen with the attack on the timber workers, uh, the Demerara timber workers, the right to strike is under attack. And until they're reinstated, it's fair to say that the government is firing striking workers. Because that's what it is. I mean, even even the Ministry of um, who is Ministry of Agriculture, the Interior, came out against the company doing that. And with all everything that has happened to Wales Estate to now, and everything being proposed for all these ideas, the union has not been consulted at all. The workers have not been consulted. They, as uh, I was talking with members today, and they said that everything we learn, we learn through the media. So. There's no good faith negotiation. So in, in the appeal, it will say um, that if your union would like or local would like to support these sugar workers going through austerity, we support these principles and we support Gawu's right in fighting for them. So that'll be a way to help because what's happening uh, at Wales Estate and whether or not it's one, it's not going to be limited to, to Wales Estate, as we've seen from January to now. Um, the, although it hasn't been confirmed, uh, leaked sources have said that the government wants to raise tuition by 5% a year annually until 2020. This is the government trying to create new revenue streams on the, on the backs of people who are vulnerable and already struggling. So, and in many ways, so many of the same things that we, we fight, we fight against here in Canada. So it's, uh, solidarity is a two way street and austerity is not 
a localized phenomenon. Austerity knows no borders and neither can solidarity, frankly. And a lot of the ties which used to exist in the struggles against the dictatorship when it existed in Guyana, there was a huge amount of labor solidarity that, uh, that existed. And uh, like a lot of the unions don't exist and a lot of the organizations don't exist, but now those networks need to be recreated because even if we can't save Wales estate, and they're still fighting and we will keep trying, it will be about having an organized solidarity network that's ready to rally the next time something comes under assault because if this is just the bridgehead of privatization in the sugar industry, they have a long way to go when shutting it all down because a proper comparison would be coal and Britain and what they did. They wanted to attack the entire trade union movement, so they attacked the most militant part of it. They attacked the most militant areas and they shut them down one by one by one by one. So solidarity in the country is happening, as exemplified by the you know resistance actions that have happened, the uh, dual marches of the rival trade union confederations on May Day. Internationally, uh, what we can do is, in if you're a member of a of a union, you can try you can present this motion, have it signed, it will be sent to them, it will mean the world to them to know that there's others out there that agree with them, that you should have the right to strike, that you should have the right to paid release to attend your own meetings, your own functions, your own seminars, and that you should be consulted with when the government is trying to shut down your jobs. You've been listening to a rankandfile.ca podcast. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube.